1: Summer's here, I'm for that I got my rubber sand, got my straw hat I got my cold beer, I'm just glad that it's here Summer's here, that suits me fine It may rain today, cause I don't mind It's my favorite time of the year, and I'm glad that
2: That, of course, is uh, James Taylor expressing his uh, love and optimism and happiness about summer. And that is one of the things we're going to talk about on the nose today because that does describe the attitude of many, many people uh, towards summer. Uh, And our guests today, Tanisha Dugan, a producing associate at TheaterWorks, Jacques Lamar, the playwright and director of client services at BuzzEngine, and Bill Useman, a director of media studies at Sacred Heart University, will talk about whether they're really kind of in the James Taylor camp are they, or they are are they a little bit more wolfy in this camp? Actually, if Lana Del Rey is connected in any way to your sense of a season, it's probably not going to go all that well. Um, so that's uh, going to be our top topic today. Uh, we'll lead off the show with that. But let me just tell you in the future uh, of the show, we're going to talk about the future of streaming, uh, TV streaming. And then we've also been to see Spider-Man Far From Home. I should say that what we really wanted to do this week is have everybody go see Pavarotti, this tremendous docu- documentary that's playing it. Three locations around the state, including Will Wilkins wants me to tell you, at Real Artways, it's not true that you can't see it, but you have to go to either 1 p.m. or 3 p.m., which is highly inconvenient, uh, to our panel. So we couldn't do this, but it's really just a tremendous documentary, and you should go see it. And if you don't like opera, that doesn't mean anything. It's like not watching. Friday Night Lights because you don't like football. Uh, anyway, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll come to all of that. But right now we have to talk about summer um, and uh, the occasion for that. Oh, I also have to say uh, that Theater Works uh, has its uh, Play Pen weekend of new play readings next weekend, July nineteenth uh, through uh, the twenty first. Both Jacques and Tanisha. And, you know, putatively, Bill, also want you to know that uh, live, bold new plays from some of the most exciting on the horizon voices in the industry are coming. These are playwrights you should know, sharing their uh, plays at early stages of development. It's always uh, fun, those kinds of play reading festivals and stuff like that. So good. Good times. Good good summer times uh, or not. Good so, summer times. <laughs> the occasion for this uh, conversation is a Washington Post essay by Alahi Azadi. I hope I'm saying that right, uh, who uh, found people who found a uh, summer terribly depressing, uh, people who like eating dinner by candlelight, dark city nights invigorate them but bright summer days do not Uh, and the extra uh, daylight uh, doesn't make them feel good. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, that there is kind of a summer seasonal affective disorder in addition to the winter seasonal affective disorder. So, let's hear how everybody p- processed that. Were well, you're doing some body language over there, so that means you have to Because I said,
0: I called BS on summer seasonal disorder. Really? I think it's just grumpy. Really? I think if you're just grumpy, you're grumpy. I get it if it's you know it's cold it's dark you can't go outside not to hate on people's disorders but i'm going to call i'm going to call that one and go mm, i don't know i think you just don't want to have a good time <laughs> <laughs>
2: well as somebody who I, I do get depressed in the summer and i i, I it's easily my least favorite of the four seasons i like all <gasps> of the three seasons better i know i know audible i know gasp
0: you're not a rose all day uh, I am, kind of guy. I am I guess.
2: with you. I am with you. Yeah. I, oh, I'm and a, now I feel good. I feel like I there's am somebody a, else. I'm a summer hater because we were getting, I was getting summer shamed over here. Uh, you were. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Jacques, talk about that. Uh, I mean, to me, I don't. Uh, it, it doesn't come down
1: to feeling, um, having a feeling of depression or what have you. I, I don't like the heat. I don't like – not that the beach isn't available at other times of year, but I don't like going to the beach, and which is something I thought my husband and I shared in common. But as soon as I, real, I think he realized that I don't enjoy the beach, he suddenly liked it. So <laughs> most of our vacations end up going – we end up going somewhere warm near the beach. Um, but, you know, I'd rather be – inside with, by, by a fire with a cup of cocoa or something. I don't it's, know. It
2: just doesn't work in the summer. None of that no, works in the summer. No, you just can't do it's it.
1: Just, it. It's depressing.
2: I think that for Jacques and I to say these things, Bill, uh, it requires tremendous personal courage on our parts because, yeah, I mean, people look at you funny when you say all that, you know, because you're there there is I, – I, I have mostly masked my feelings about this and I'm – I try to like be, yeah, summer, yeah, like everybody else, you know, but I'm really not feeling it.
3: Yeah, well, try saying that in Miami and see the kind of looks (laughs) that you get.
2: Well, you have to say it in like six different languages, first of all. Well, true,
3: starting with Yiddish, (laughs) and I, which I can say. He can make that joke. uh, I I can make that joke, Uh, because I'm a real mensch. I love summer, but I also recognize there are some specific reasons I love summer that are related to my privileged position in the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, For one thing, uh, being a college professor – Summer is my best time of the year. I do – I teach in a graduate program that actually has classes all year long, but I tend to pull back in the summer. I get a lot more autonomy. I get a lot more freedom. I can read a lot more. I can spend my days the way I want to spend them. And I totally get that that's not true for everyone Mm -hmm. or actually not true for most people. So, it, you know, if you're just schlupping off to work and it's 95 degrees, I can see why that could be depressing and bothersome. No, actually, we're
2: to glad people. to go to work when it's 95 <laughs> degrees. We <laughs> want to be at work. Yeah. We don't want to be outside trying to make that work. That is, the, <laughs> that is the thing. So what do you think is so great about summer?
0: I love the long days. I love the sun, obviously. I think since I saw you last, I've changed like three shades darker. I just, everything about it. I love no rules. Mm. I don't like structure. Summer is the perfect season for a lack of structure. Winter, you know, everyone's on you. There's places to go. There's things to do. There are deadlines to be met. Summer a little less so.
2: I mean, Jacques, one thing that I try to do to cope is to fill up my summer with, first of all, I don't want to be out in the middle of the day. I just don't want any part <laughs> of that, all right? No. So morning is pretty good. Evening is fine. Um, like, you know, uh, this week, yesterday, I like to go out. I try to see a lot of outdoor stuff. Yesterday, because we taped, I got to run downtown and see uh, my guys, uh, uh, self-suffice, Kaim, the rap poet and Tang Sauce out there rapping by the old statehouse. I was watching my friend Latanya Farrell perform in Elizabeth Park on Wednesday night. I was at Monday Night Jazz uh, on Monday, but I'm faking it, you know? <laughs> I'm faking it. I'm trying to be like one of the people having a good time during the summer because I, I don't know about you, but it is, you know, you can't really like say that. It's like almost you sound un-American or something.
1: Yeah, I, you know, uh, every time I would go to my dermatologist, every meeting we'd end with, and stay out of the sun. Right. Or, you know, make sure you wear sunblock, which I hate wearing sunblock. Mm-hmm. So... I like, you know, I would be content in starting basically Memorial Day, staying in my basement. <laughs> uh, you know, I part. You know, I, I I know people love going to outdoor concerts and theater and what have you. I am a big fan of. You can't have weather contingent anything. You know <laughs> that you, that everything should happen in a bunker. <laughs> or, you know... Or I, a black box. Yeah. I mean, the Black thing box is, theater. You know, uh, uh, you know, a number of my clients, like, uh, the Autorino Center is doing Outdoor Shakespeare right yes. now with Capital Classics, which mm. is wonderful. And, you know, I was w- helping with promoting uh, Black Eyed and Blues Fest in Bushnell Park. And I, you know, I want to support people who have this lifestyle choice of wanting to be out <laughs> where insects can get at you. <laughs> uh, but, you know, just... Uh, uh, because of my general aversion to humanity and nature, uh, summer seems to bring out
2: those two things. It's true. Either that or Jacques and I were both dogs in a previous life because we're just <laughs> going <laughs> – <laughs> <laughs> Yeah.
1: Right,
2: you have and, the floor. And
3: I'm, I'm the cat who's like rolling in the sunbeam <laughs> and showing my belly. Not that anyone wants to see that. But, yeah, I like Tanisha, I crave the sun. And you
0: too are a few shades darker than I saw you last.
3: Absolutely. I'm out there, out there all the time. And I love, I absolutely love the long days. Okay. In the article that we read, you know, one of the points they make it's, is, is kind of a scientific point about sleep de- deprivation and how it's harder to sleep when the days are longer and there's more sun. I stay up till one or two in the morning anyway, regardless. Um, no matter what the season is. So that doesn't really bother me.
0: I felt like a winning parent because in my fantasy, good parents have their kids going to bed just as the sun is setting. So I feel like a real hero because I'm like, look, it's 830 and the sun is just setting and my kids are going to bed. It's it's like
2: Amish parents do that, I think. But I'm not sure like other parents do that. Oh, that's good to
1: know. I, I would like to qualify that I'm a fan of Dusk. Dusk. Yeah, yeah dusk yes. is nice. Oh, dusk, dusk is nice. Yeah. Dusk. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
2: the minute it stops being a summer day, how shall I compare thee to a summer? I, I, I don't want to. When it stops being a summer day, I start getting happier. So I, I think that's part of the key. We so summer also be, nights are so like kind of like Olivia
3: Newton-John. Exactly. <laughs> or, and you, or a vampire, live for those summer nights.
2: Or a vampire. Yeah. All right. So we may have exhausted this subject, but <laughs> it's clear anyway that there are. Uh, uh, points of view about this which may be held on each side by basically decent people. Uh, mm. And so uh, there you go. Um, as usual, we have accomplished nothing. But um, <laughs> other than to get ready to move on uh, to the future of television. So. The, uh, I'll try to set this up a little bit. i with like a professor of media studies here. I feel like I shouldn't have to do too much of the heavy lifting. But So basically what's happening, what's going to happen very soon is that every big player in the media industry and a whole bunch of players that you've never heard of are going to be adding more streaming channels, carrying more streaming channels. So Disney+, Plus, Apple+, Plus, uh, all, all kinds of players are getting into the industry. There are, uh, are ways in which all of these things are going to be bundled and configured in different ways. And there's just a tremendous this uh, amount of places to go and get content more places than you could easily go to get content i'm sure you've had the experience of having you know a hearing about some something that sounds kind of interesting and they say it's on acorn or something and you go well, what's that you know and and there's going to be more and more of that so there's a, a massive piece in the sunday new york times magazine about this very fact uh, it is called the great race to rule streaming tv all right, uh, Mr. Uh, media Studies Professor, why don't you uh, take us off on some tangent here? <laughs> all
3: right. Let me get my chalk <laughs> and start drawing. I think there's a- it's absolutely true that the entire media environment is transforming in ways that we had not anticipated. And we actually don't know where all of this is going to end up. I think it's impossible to predict where this is going to be five, ten years from now, in this article in the New York Times, um, they they try to do that, and they paint, I think, uh, a picture of both possibilities and some real serious potential pitfalls, because what we have is a. a I think a dialectical tension between more and more democracy in terms of production, more and more democracy in terms of consumption. When I was growing up, we had the three channels. You watched one of them and that's really all you had. Now the field is wide open for more and more producers, more diverse stories, more experimentation, more flexibility, all of that I think is absolutely a good thing but the other side of that is there there is a tension there with the quality mm-hmm. of what's being produced when there's more and more and more there's also more and more and more just really bad stuff really trashy stuff that you know who has time for all of that,
2: And I also feel as though – and I think this is a, pe- a point that is made occasionally in this piece that you know, we've sort of lived through the period, uh, a 20 to 30-year period uh, of exactly what you've described where you know uh, creative stuff done by high-quality talents. I, mean, I think it's made – I read so many pieces I've lost track. But I think it's in this piece where they say, you know, you could do The Sopranos because there were all these creative people, really great actors and writers and directors and all this kind of stuff. And they, they all wanted to work on something like this because there was nothing like that to work on. You know, and, and now there's so you couldn't get that group of people together to work on the Sopranos. They're all doing their own little projects all over the place. And meanwhile, I think for the big telecom companies, they're looking at this kind of the way we look at the Democratic candidates for president. There's too much. It's got to get whittled down somehow. They're all about throwing their big, ugly arms around as much of it as they can get. But I, I think they probably think there's way, way too much. And I don't know. So uh, I don't know. Tanisha, what's your relationship to all this stuff?
0: I got a couple. One, I think. I, I too, have loved some prestige theater, uh, prestige television, and I think that uh, the the environment isn't as ripe for prestige TV. I think it's expensive. I think we're even finding, you know, Netflix is pulling back on uh, how much it's expending on on productions because uh, the return isn't as great. I think, in theory, the idea that there's lots of content to pick from and then, sort of the major content producers select one, in the example of like Issa Rae and Awkward Black Girl, right? That mm. came through through YouTube. And then you're able to like invest in those artists in a way that is like um, Prestige um, TV is interesting. But I also think it does this weird thing where it asks all content creators and makes everyone a content creator. And therefore people who are uh, put crea- putting out platforms want things... Done, and I think that's why you're getting a lot of crappy done things, um, because it's not so much about the idea. Let's talk about this idea. Let's talk about your dreams for what this idea is. It's James Gandolfini, and it's just about you know this one mafia you know family. Um, It's fast and dirty and loose, and I think that doesn't always make for great art.
2: Jacques,
1: you know, I'm 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 not sure that prestige television will fade away. I mean, there's still, you know, uh things that are being churned out. Um and I think that those things will, by virtue of their quality to a certain extent, tap into the zeitgeist and kind of bubble up to the, the surface. I mean to me in reading that article, I was just overwhelmed at the thought of it. I'm the kind of person who likes Trader Joe's because it removes choice from my life? <laughs> it's like I know I want this, and therefore I will buy the Trader Joe's brand of it. I I love um, I love that uh, you can watch what you want when you want uh, with streaming. Um, the whole thing of, like, I have to wait until Tuesday night to watch this or I have to set my VCR or whatever in case I miss it or DVR or what have you. Uh, You know, I think being able to ingest stuff on on a timeline that works for me is really great. Um, Having to wait, you know, it's interesting because when you look at, like, Game of Thrones – you had to get back into, a certain sense, into that old viewing habit mm-hmm. of appointment television. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and it, I think it worked for that show, but at the same time, to go because the production was so massive, to wait a year and a half. Like I'm watching the new Stranger Things season, and I have to be like, what happened a year ago? I have to remember that level of detail. Now I can go back and watch it again, which is what I'm sure Netflix would want but uh so there's thing there's aspects of like the binging that is really great because you can see like a whole artistic statement at you know at one time or kind of parse it out as you wish uh but i so i'm very conflicted about the the streaming things as um a certain radio show asked me to watch a uh <laughs> a uh channel that i did not have so I downloaded the app, and I'm like, "All right, I have to remember to cancel this because right. otherwise they're going to charge me seven dollars a month."
2: And that's a big part of this, right? For all of this stuff, you know. I mean, a lot of us have, you know, um, you know, We, we I, I added YouTube something so that we could watch the Cobra Kai sequel. YouTube, to Red. <laughs> YouTube Red, YouTube Red, right? yeah. yeah. And then it was like on my credit card bill, and I was just not, not getting rid of it. And I think a lot of people are carrying those things over. We've got Hulu now. Uh, we'll just jump back onto Showtime if there's something there that we really. Want to see, but then you have to remember. Oh, CBS All Access, uh, yeah. which was really hard to get rid of. By the way, it takes a lot of work to get CBS uh, uh, All Access, and and that's another problem, which is that if you if you are really into Handmaid's Tale, first of all, you either just have to keep Hulu for a really long time, or drop Hulu at the end of season two remember to pick hulu back up at the end of season 3 you know they've got us spending a lot of time trying and to figure money. all that crap out and so money so much well, money
0: cuz you don't like you know the 699 or the 499 for the different levels of packages and then you most of the time you don't remember and then yeah. you've got like more than a regular cable bill would cost right and people like balk because they see that one charge every month and it's huge but you don't pay attention to like 10 yeah. $4.99. So yeah. No, no, no
2: panelist people. Carolyn Payne apparently still has CBS All Access yeah. because <laughs> of us. There's going to be somebody from CBS All Access at Carolyn's funeral, <laughs> you know, 70 years <laughs> from now saying thanks for subscribing for all these decades, including during the Martian occupation and
3: stuff like that. What were we going to say? Well, the other thing that the – article brings out, which speaks directly to to this, is that for the corporate executives, this is product. This mm-hmm. isn't, you know, this isn't, the, the other, I think the other dialectical tension that's here is between art and commerce. And of course there's always, you know, there is no art that is totally free of commerce. You know, there, there never has been. But that, the, I think of, of of these corporate executives in the same way that I think of condo developers. Okay. You see a space where you think, oh, there could be five nice little houses there. They're not gonna put in five nice little houses. They're gonna put in 15, they're gonna put in 20 where people are living in these cramped quarters close to each other. And you know they use the phrase in the article, this is all about the monetization of attention. Mm -hmm. Because people are watching now on their phones, they're watching everywhere, and you've gotta grab them with these little bits of content But what does that mean in terms of storytelling? What does that mean in terms of character development? What does that mean in terms of what makes narrative so compelling and important for us? They quote from um, one of these executives in the article who calls a a, a program pitch, so stupid but so sellable. Mm -hmm. They don't care that it's stupid. All they care about is that it's sellable. They also use the phrase, good enough TV well good enough for who like good enough just to make some money over off of it but what is it in terms of why human beings are attracted to stories in the first place that that i think is 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 a potential problem yes the technology opens space up and it allows for experimentation it allows for diversity those are all very very good things but the technology is being controlled by these corporate conglomerates that don't care about any of that.
2: Right. And to your point, Tanisha, one of the things we don't know, I think, is did Issa Rae get where she is right now because she was so talented she was going to get someplace. That's what I'd like to believe, and that in this proliferation of platforms and stuff like that, Issa Rae is just going to rise to the top. Or did she get there because Richard Plepler, who is kind of a non-speaking protagonist of this article, Richard Plepler, who uh, I've gotten to know pretty well over the years, you know, insisted on getting somebody like that and was willing to, you know, and, and has been was repeatedly during his time at HBO re- willing to pay for stuff, willing to push creators. Alan Ball described going into HBO with. Kind of a more kind of good enough TV kind of pitch, and and having the HBO people say, no, what's the thing you really want to do? We don't hear hear about that. That's like that's very sellable. We want to hear about the thing you think you can. And that's how Six Feet Under actually happened. Was HBO said, give me this, give us the stuff that you're afraid to talk about. We want to do that thing. Um, and, and I just I what I wonder, Jacques, is I feel like one effect that this is having on me, and it it's kind of goes back to what Bill was just saying, is. I don't have the kind of commitment to stuff that I used to have. It's like I, mm. I don't know. I watched – I binged a lot of Handmaid's Tale recently and then I don't know. We were just saying yesterday, oh, should we get rid of Hulu? And you know, the other one I live with said, are you all done with Handmaid's Tale? And I said, no, but yeah, I don't know. You know, it's <laughs> like – you again? <laughs> I don't really care a lot of times. I can stop watching something because there's so much other stuff out there. Uh, you know, I think – Uh,
1: this may not be answering your question, but I think one of the things is we have to rethink what is television because television used to mean you had to sit on the couch, pick up Mm -hmm. your remote and watch TV. Mm -hmm. And now uh, you really have to think in terms of screens, your phone, your tablet, Mm -hmm. your computer at work. You know, I was um, not really watching but listening to Mike Daisy do the first part of his 32 hour uh performance of uh his adaptation of Howard Zinn's the um people's <laughs> history of the United States. And uh so I was like ingesting content while working <clears throat> and I thought one of the most fascinating things about the article um was uh, the Commodification of, of your attention and the fact that they that their mission is to figure out how to take up more hours yeah. of your life, yes.
2: Right. Yes. and yes. that
1: it was supposed to be you would have a four hour block, and maybe of you know that normally you would when you sat in front of a TV on a daily basis or whatever you know you said all right this hour is going to go to the Sopranos because this is when it's on, and I you know that FOMO you know I can't wait for the rebroadcast I have to watch it now kind of thing. And so now it's saying, you know, my my television viewing can start in the morning and it can continue on my commute. Mm-hmm. And it can happen at my desk when my boss isn't watching. And so I think one of the things that's really fascinating about this is also the willingness to get away from the half hour or 22 minute format or the full hour format and say a show can be 10 minutes.
2: Right, or 10. and we should mention that, um, first of all, one of the things they mentioned in this article is that AT&T is trying to w- come up with a way to do a 20 minute Game of Thrones episode at it with the idea of being people watching their phones, they're not gonna hold their phone for more than 20 minutes. Uh, and, and so we are doing a show next Thursday that will involve all three of the people that you're hearing on the show today, we're doing a show on Thursday about how everything's getting shorter, everything's getting smaller. One of the things that we did uh, was uh, watch a new series that is being released in 10-minute uh, episodes, uh, and so all of our panelists here uh, will be talking on a very, very short episode of The Nose on Thursday. But we each only get 30 seconds to talk. Right. You have to talk really fast, too. So uh, I've already wasted my time. And
0: right. what what we, we each have done, I think, is probably watched it in more than 10-minute chunks, right. which right. is sort of the opposite of what the intention of uh, creating content that small is all about. I think, you know, to your earlier point about what does this mean for the quality of it, I think that that commodification of attention means I don't care what... The quality of the thing is. I just care that you're watching it. I mean, oh, my yeah. son oh, yeah. watches the crappiest things <laughs> on YouTube, right? Like yes. food, toys. How to how to cut his Play-Doh into you know peanut butter and jelly. None of it is good. It's all you know, f- you know, made on a phone. Um, and I think the thing, the loss for me as a content creator that that's something that I do that i as a crafts person is that the work isn't that great because they don't really care. No. Um, and there's no one who's really playing Oz and looking at mm. the plethora of things that a particular platform is offering and, and really curating it. I mean, you could find anything pretty much everywhere. And I wonder if that becomes the future, right? I think, that went to, some...
2: I think that's going to be somebody else's job, too. I think you're going to hear, there are going to be people who come out or are going to have their own channels or whatever on YouTube who are going to tell you which things you need to pay attention to and which things are crap. Yeah. And you'll decide whether over time you believe that person or this other person. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we've got to wrap this up so we can talk about uh, Spider-Man in Europe. Uh, <laughs> and Well, anyway, we'll just get to that. I, have, I
0: hate summer, I hate
2: All right. So one of the other things that we did this week is to go to the movies. Uh, You'll notice that Carolyn Payne is not on this episode (laughs) of the show because she basically will never do this again. Uh, But uh, we went to see Spider-Man Far From Home. Now I know why. Yes. Well, yeah, exactly. So um, Tom Holland, uh, the young actor who's taken over the role of Spider-Man, has, I think it's fair to say in the past, breathed quite a bit of new life uh, into this character and done some interesting things uh, with the help of of a big creative team. Uh, This time we find him in Europe on a, a class field trip to Europe, uh, and Europe being kind of a place you go as opposed to like a whole bunch of specific places. But uh, yes, we go from uh, Venice to Prague to Berlin to London. Uh, And here's just a little bit of it. You're going to hear Jake Gyllenhaal as Quentin Beck, uh, Colby Smulders as Mariah Hill, uh, Tom Holland as Spider-Man Samuel L. Jackson, who else, as Nick Fury uh, in this little clip here. They were born in stable orbits within black holes. Creatures formed from the primary elements. Air, water, fire, earth. The science division had a technical name. We just called them elementals.
3: Versions of them exist across our mythologies.
2: Turns out the myths are real. Like Thor.
0: Thor was a myth and now I study him in my physics class.
3: These myths are threats. They first materialized on my earth many years ago. I was part of the last battalion
2: left trying to stop them. All we did was delay the inevitable.
3: The elementals are here now, attacking the same coordinates. Our satellites confirm it. We have one mission. Kill it. You're coming with us. Mr. Fury, this all seems like big time. You know, huge superhero kind of stuff. And, I mean, I'm just a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, sir.
2: Please, you've been to space. All right, so Tanisha, we could contextualize all of that for people, but I think the truth is, as far as you're concerned, and I'm concerned, and Bill's concerned, I'm not sure, sure, sure where Jacques is on this. It kind of doesn't really matter what the heck they're talking about.
0: It doesn't, and that's sad, because I, really like, yeah, I really do like. Yeah, <clears> because I really do enjoy <throat> Marvel films. I do, and this one I just was like, oh, why. Which was unfortunate. I don't love Tom, I guess, which is part of it. Mm-hmm. I get, I think I've loved, you know, um,
2: what's his name? Don't say Andrew Garfield. Don't mm-hmm. you say mm-hmm. no, Maguire. no, no. The one, oh, b- Toby McGuire. To,
0: yeah, you know, and maybe that's because that was like the formative time when I was really like into it and and watching it, but. And and I found myself confused and I found myself longing for Iron Man and just really being like, oh, Actually, that should
2: be the subtitle of this movie anyway. Longing for Iron Man. (laughs) -Man. Spider-Man. Longing for Iron Man. Because there's a lot of wistfulness and, and Tony Stark missing. Uh, Tony Stark schmers, uh, and, and uh, that seems to be driving a lot of it. I know what you mean by confusing, too, because there's, there's no point in trying to recap the plotter, but there's like this thing that goes on all the time, and it's very hard to understand how it could possibly work and whether it works, and... and yes, it's exactly. Bananas. Uh, it's bananas. It's, yeah, <laughs> and, and so I don't know. It's the I'm,
0: ultimate in projection mapping. <laughs>
2: But Bill, on the other hand, I mean, this thing has all the stuff in it that we have, a lot of the stuff in it that we have typically liked in the past. It has a little, some snappy patter. It does have, you know, uh, some of us don't like Tom Holland, but if you like Tom Holland, he's got this kind of quippy, very high schooly kind of, you know, way of doing Spider Man. It's sort of hard to figure out what, why is it so? To use yours and Tanisha's term, meh, spider
3: meh. Oh, I could go on for a long time about how much I did not like this movie. And like Tanisha, I am a Marvel Cinematic Universe fan. I've, I've literally been reading Marvel comic books for 50 years. And so I'm not prone to just have kind of like this snobbish attitude about superhero movies. I generally like them. To me, this was, so we know that Disney owns Marvel. To me, this was the Disney Kids Channel version of a Marvel movie. When I was growing up, I was watching all those bad sitcoms like the Brady Bunch and the Partridge Family, and it seemed like there would always be like an episode where they were off to France, or they were off to London, or they were off to Rome. It's so bad. It's just. Like this postcard travelogue. (laughs) With Um, the worst
0: soundtrack.
3: The worst soundtrack. It's like the high school musical version of a Marvel movie. One of the things that I have liked about some of the recent Marvel movies is the darkness of them, the kind of dark grandeur of them, if you will, and the very melancholy, especially we talked about. We
2: should say that Bill is the voice voice of Thanos uh, on uh, those Avengers (laughs) movies. That's one of the – see, he kind of has a dog in the fight, but go ahead.
3: And I'm also down with vanishing half the world's population too, by the way, but that's a more complicated story. So – It's just. Okay. I like
0: those aspects too, and yet I hated them in MJ. I'm like, what happened to the girl that he, like, why is she this, like, sullen, sully? Like, she's just.
2: Although I so Zendaya plays, <laughs> What's up uh, with her? Zendaya plays MJ, who's the Spider Man's love <laughs> interest. Yeah. I think uh. she's the closest thing to saving this movie, though. You know, her, she is the... an
0: interesting actress, but I feel yeah. like yeah. that character does not belong in this movie. So, yes, that was interesting to watch, and there was real character development happening. But who is this girl? Like, why is she in this movie? She's the love interest, <laughs> love interest. yes, um, and she should be like bubbly and you know. She's going to be a reporter.
2: So Jacques, is part of the problem yeah. – I mean, first of all, I think we—I think this stuff is all getting – we have some fatigue, right? Yeah. I mean, even if we like MCU, you know, I mean, we're getting tired. I'm getting tired. And I'm like Bill. I was, grew up a comic book nerd, you know, and I'm still tired. But you went. Uh,
1: I mean, that's the part of we, – what we were talking about. Uh, is I wanted I,
3: to do Pavarotti.
2: I uh, oh, this is
1: <laughs> now, true.
3: This I is hate true. opera, but now I wish we had. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't hate opera, but I mean, I the thing is, I for some reason I'm still in that you know uh, fear of missing out and ah. uh, and like oh you know I've got to collect them all and share them with my friends kind <laughs> of thing, and it's like you know uh, there's there's starting to blur in my mind. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out you know, what the issue was with Andrew Garfield. Um, I don't remember disliking him, but, you know, I mean, these things get more and more bloated. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the most interesting thing in um, in this movie uh, is the after credits. Yes. Uh, Agreed. <laughs> Absolutely. You know? yeah, the and stuff so that you like... have
3: to sit and wait for were actually better. Right.
1: Yeah. So go see Midsummer, and then right before the end leave Slip and go out. see Spider-Man final five
2: minutes. Right. I mean th- this is how we movie now is that when you go to see these Marvel things, you have to sit there and you have to – there's a, a punch one, which is halfway through the credits at the end, and then dead end of the credits. You've watched – and can I just say one thing about this too? <laughs> I, 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 so yesterday I was at the Bloomfield uh, Cinemas – 10 minutes of commercials, just commercials for, like, vitamin water and crap like that. And and then 20 minutes of promo of trailers. So 30 minutes. So I arrived at 510, which was the listed showtime. I don't know why I did that. I know better. But, you know, and I got out of there pretty close to 8 (laughs) o'clock because I also had to wait all the way through the credits to see the very last thing. It is
3: is hilarious that you're saying this because I also went to the Bloomfield Cinema Mm -hmm. and I was outraged by the number of commercials before the movie started to the extent where I started yelling about it in the theater and totally <laughs> Oh you were that guy. My uh, was that my, guy? my kids and my wife were totally embarrassed. My son was telling me just to shut up, but it was please, outrageous. Dad, please be quiet. And I but it's actually related to something that we've been talking about that this is all product. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. product and the the fact that you had to sit through 15 minutes of commercials before you got to then this product of a film it it was annoying
2: I, I think also this is an uh, – I'm suddenly remembering. I think it's the m- most recent – not counting Into the Spider-Verse, the most recent Spider-Man movie before this one. Uh, was it the one where he kept getting detentions and they'd have to go and they'd watch these instructional films where Captain America would be telling yeah. them how to be better citizens and stuff like that? And then at the end you wait through all the credits to the final, final second punch thing and Captain America comes on and just talks about how it's important to learn to wait you ah. know, and to be patient. He goes, even if sometimes you wait a really long time, and what you waited for turned out turns out not to be all that great, you know. And then that's kind of the end. And there's we can all kind of laugh at this little this little joke that's happened. I just want to say one thing about this, and anybody whoever wants to who can react. I think. Okay, you don't like Tom Holland that much, but um, I mean he's okay. I, I think when, one of the things they did very well early on, and I think I said this in our emails, was turn it into a story about a kid from Queens. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's in when they're in Queens, it's a New York story, and there's that scene where he and Donald Glover get into an argument about some kind of sandwich they both like, but which place in Queens has the better bread for the sandwich, or it's too bready, or whatever. You know, and there's a bodega with a bodega cat, and there's there's this kind of sense that he really is this high school kid from. Queens, you know, and if they would stick with that, you know, Mm -hmm. really let Peter Parker be Peter Parker, kid from Queens, I I, I would enjoy that a lot more than watching him, you know, disrupt some festival of light in Prague or something.
1: (laughs) But, I mean, he's been stuck in New York City for, at this point, how many movies, you know, and...
2: He's 17. I never never went to Prague. I I know, but I mean, but the thing is, it's like,
1: you know, there's going to be some... Monster or creature or villain that's going to terrorize New York, that's going to threaten destruction. Let's get some different postcard locales. (laughs) I was fine with going to Europe. I I thought, and you know, I appreciated what they were trying to do. I think ultimately doing what they had to do as a Marvel film uh, ended up making it a very bifurcated experience. I, th- I think yeah. next
2: movie you should stay in Queens and fight Roy O'Kio Grosso. <laughs> and, and Roy would be a good uh, Spider-Man villain too. That's going to come back to home. Can me, I just say go ahead.
1: as soon as people in a movie get on a Ferris wheel, yeah. they should know they're taking their life into the Right, hands.
2: exactly. That's a very good point. Yes. Um, they should say have a sign next to the sign saying you have to be this tall to get on saying you should also be aware that you're in a comic book movie you're right, right now. And yes. It's like, you know, <laughs> that you're going to
1: get stuck at the top. And something horrible is going to happen. Right. But Could. you're not going to die. Uh, anyway, so. Spoiler.
2: Do go see it. If, you're, if you've are if you got FOMO, you can go see it. And it's cool whatever. if you
0: don't like summer heat.
2: Yeah, it's cool. You can get inside in the dark, you know, stuff like that. But. Uh, there might be other ways to spend your time too. Go see – I mean really if you can get to see Pavarotti, it really is an amazing thing. And it doesn't matter whether – it's better if you don't like opera. Like if you loved opera, this might be a little bit of a problem. Ron Howard, right? Ron Howard. He did an amazing job with this. Uh, All right. So – and also at Downstate, it's at normal times like at Madison Art Cinemas or whatever they're called. You can see it at night. All right. We have to take a break so we can come back. And I guess I just endorsed something but we'll endorse some other stuff too. I'm pitching a
0: concept for a movie series game show about a small group of humans who do not have any superpowers. I have a meeting later today with PlayStation U Apple. I mean, if you want to get anywhere in this business, you got to meet with companies that don't exist yet. Today's show is produced by Jonathan McPants and me, Kyone Wolf. The part of Bill Curry was played by Toby Maguire and Andrew Garfield. We'll be back on Monday with our usual show about weekend news. And now... Back to Colin.
2: All right. It's time for our excellent panel to, uh, to make some recommendations uh, to you. Uh, what's, uh, Jacques, why don't you go first, Jacques Lamar?
1: Oh, I'm leaning far back from the microphone. Sorry oh. about that. Um, so the first thing I want to endorse is a place I've actually not been to, <laughs> but someone I trust uh, has recommended and is asking for people to help support this uh, restaurant in Manchester. It's on East Middle oh, Turnpike. Yeah. It's called Rosita's. Um, Bessie Reyna noted – Poet, award-winning uh, writer, memoirist, uh, loves this place, and she knows of what she speaks when it comes to Central American uh, food. Um, and she said they make an amazing Central American breakfast every day. They have the Sunday uh, buffet from eleven to four. And um, she said it's really authentic Mexican and Central American food. And so she's just raving about it. So, and they need your business. So, Rosita's on East Middle Turnpike uh, across from what used to be uh, Books and Birds, uh, if you remember that right. store, the late lamented Books and Birds.
2: Um, well, that sounds good. And I, there's sort of a burrito sized hole in my life because uh, <laughs> Los Adobes uh, in, on Park Road uh, in West Hartford closed. So, I'm, I'm, and I'm craving that kind of food. So Rositas, all right. Rositas. All right. Tanisha, would you like to go next?
0: I, I would. And I'm gonna this is probably gonna make Jonathan annoyed, but so be it. He's already annoyed, so I'm, don't worry. I'm actually endorsing the yield sign. Um it's just something that I think drivers ignore. And yield means wait right. for someone else to pass and then you go. I drive through a rotary every day. Mm-hmm. No one yields. And I also feel like it's a yielding of, of uh, communication, right? right. We need a little more yielding in our
2: world. I think that's an excellent, I mean, it's sort of, you know, on Wednesdays at the, on the wheelhouse, rather than doing endorsements, we do uh, feats of strength and airing of grievances. And this is kind of an airing of a <laughs> but you've also <laughs> turned it into, I like the idea that you're really talking about to yield. They are asking you to be in a certain kind of emotional state.
0: Exactly.
2: Which doesn't come naturally to a lot of drivers. N-
0: and and to us in 2019, right. the idea that I'm going to allow someone else to go first, that I'm going to consider anything else around me before I make my move, I'm going to pay attention. Can
2: I endorse her, one of her past endorsements? Yes, but before that, let me just say that Jonathan McPants uh, has just chimed in. This is a great endorsement. <laughs> As opposed to uh, the opposite of annoying, and I think okay. that's really true. That's a really good, <laughs> I, I, you know. And I think that idea that if you could yield at the rotary, maybe you could yield a little bit in other situations too. You know, let somebody else go. Universe will. Somebody's willing. in a hurry to uh, to get the coffee at storey and soil. You say, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. You're in you know, a hurry. Go ahead. Hopefully, I'm the person you're yielding to it in that situation. But anyway, now go ahead. I just want Tanisha did
1: this before on the zipper method, and it has stuck with me. I don't know if you want to share it again real quick, Tanisha, but it seems to be a big thing in your life.
0: It is. I drive a lot driving in connecticut is an interesting thing yeah. it's construction season i cannot stand when someone just goes and tries to take the right into the lane your your role is to continue to drive all the way until the 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 Arrow sign or the cone, and then one and another and another and another. You're actually stopping the traffic. B- by Bill Huesman is out.
2: snapping his fingers like you're Charlie Parker right now. That's why this <laughs> there's needs a lot to, to a learn show in so driving see me snap. and yeah.
0: how to be a good.
2: Well, that's citizen. true. Although I will say that when they were both alive, the Maliazzi brothers used to regularly get into an argument about that. Like one of them believed what you believe. You just keep driving until there's that moment where you all have to take turns, and then the other one believed that no, some people should. I don't know. I, I, <laughs> When you say it that way, it makes sense your way.
3: All right, Bill? Well, just yesterday, my wife said, don't you think people are driving more aggressively since the election? <clears throat> and I said, I think they are. And <clears throat> speaking of the election, <clears throat> uh, my first endorsement is a book by – he's. He's been a novelist, uh, Ben Fountain. He wrote Billy Lynn's Long Mm Halftime Walk about an Iraqi war veteran. Um, But he has a nonfiction book called Beautiful Country Burn Again when The Guardian asked him to cover the 2016 election. But the book is about so much more than just the election. He argues that there have been two previous crises in America that really stretch the limits of democracy, the first being the Civil War and the second being the Great Depression. He believes we are in the midst of one right now and that we need to take that seriously. We need to look at not just what's happening right now, not just what happened during the election, but all of the roots of American rancor that led up to that. And it's a beautifully written book. He's very snarky at sometimes. He's very poetic at sometimes. I can't recommend it highly enough. Beautiful Country, Burn Again by Ben Fountain. And then just very quickly, uh, one other nonfiction book, um, a book of uh, Emily Nesbaum is the TV critic for The New Yorker, and she has a new collection of essays with a great title, I Like to Watch, And if you are a fan of The Nose, and I don't know why you wouldn't be, you will really love this book of Emily Nussbaum's TV criticism I like to watch.
2: Well, uh, so for my endorsements, on be- I've already endorsed Pavarotti. But on behalf of maybe all the news panelists, uh, first of all, I'd like to uh, endorse uh, our, uh, the great work of Rip Torn in his lifetime. Uh, Jacques has a wonderful story about Rip Torn, which he's not going to tell on the air, but you may contact him on social media <laughs> uh, or however you'd like to contact Jacques, and he will maybe tell you that story. Um, the uh, But in, in specifics, I mean, Rip Torn was this tremendous stage actor and stuff like that. He's probably going to be forever known as Artie uh, on the Larry Sanders show, uh, a role which was Somewhat, somewhat modeled also, and its excellent performance in defending your life, uh, and Albert Brooks' movie about the afterlife, in which Rip Torn plays kind of a lawyer slash slash angel. But as already on the Larry Sanders show, it's there's kind of a tie-in here. I mean, that is really at the beginnings, the early stages of HBO beginning to produce its own high-quality content, and and here's this show that is in fact. Uh, a show that dares to question pretty much all of the aesthetics of network television, and to suggest that it's mostly the work of these vain uh, and and spiritually empty people, uh, and um, and and that they don't believe in this content. Any more than you do, and maybe even a little bit less than you do. Um, I just watched two episodes of it again the other day, right after learning of his death, uh, and um, and it's still really great. So if you've never watched the Larry Sanders show, it's sitting right up there on your HBO menu, and you can watch it now, and it's amazing. Uh, and so, and then, uh, relatedly, unfortunately, another death of uh, Jim Boughton. Jim Boughton, the amazing pitcher, uh, the amazing writer, in ball four, when the New York City Library gathered I think, the 150 best books of the century or something. That was the only sports book they had. Mm-hmm. Balfour is like really an amazing book. And he's it's really interestingly written. And everybody kind of focused on the real kind of salacious parts of it. But there are also some really brilliantly funny and, and profound parts of it. But so Jim uh, Boughton was on our show. We were up in the Berkshires uh, at their film festival. He'd been involved in this uh, documentary, The Battered Bastards of Baseball, which I also endorse. It's a tremendous uh, story about this very wild and woolly real life minor league team. And he just turned out to be the most delightful guy. And I'm a Red Sox fan. I got no reason to like Jim Bowden. But he just was this delightful, sweet guy. He was tremendous on the show. I ran into him later that day, that night at a party, I think after the screening of the documentary. and He came over and talked about just what a great time he'd had on the show and stuff like that. So really a terrific guy, a guy who did a lot of different stuff and uh, a guy who dared to have kind of left-wing politics and baseball in the 1960s and 70s. Have any idea how, the, how well that went over? Um, so, uh, a guy who will be very, very much missed. And so, those two guys, uh, terrific. I mean, Rip Torn, maybe you don't want to be around. You know, I mean, he actually did try to break into a bank in Connecticut, <laughs> claiming that he was drunk and thought it was his house. Uh, but uh, so, maybe not always the easiest guy to be around.